November 8th, 2009 uh, was our first service at Living Word Church. Uh, my wife and I had been attending uh, another church in town for a little over six years, and we'd been feeling for a couple of years that the Lord was changing the direction of our life. Uh, I'd felt a call in my life to be a pastor. You know, we just felt like the season at that church was coming to an end, but it was a difficult decision for us. I felt a calling from God on my life to be the pastor of a church. I didn't know how that was going to happen, how it was going to unfold, but we just really felt in our heart that we needed to leave the church that we were at. But it was hard. I think up to that point in our life, up to that point in our marriage, it was probably one of the most challenging decisions we've ever had to make. We decided that maybe we would move to Houston. There was a Bible college there that I was going to attend and get further pastoral training, and Stel was going to teach at school there. And so we did everything that we could do. We listed our house. We made trips to Texas uh, to scout it out, find a place to live, and the doors completely closed. They just all closed. God made it abundantly clear that he didn't call us to Houston, that he wanted us in Homa. And so we were still left with the decision that we had to leave the church that we were at. We value the local church. We were committed. We were faithful. We were serving. And we know that whenever you leave a church, it can be heartbreaking for people, and it's difficult. And we didn't want to cause disunity in the, in the body of Christ. So we had a conversation with our pastor, and um, we left on good terms. And we decided that we were going to start praying about where God would want us to go to church. And I had heard of Living Word Church, had a great reputation in our community. Pastor Nay has been a man of faithfulness for all these years. And, and so I knew that it was a good church. And so we decided that we were going to come to Living Word Church November 8th. And uh, we were going to start our search there. I remember the service. We walked in and I just had such a peace in my heart. From the very beginning of the, of the service, during the worship, I just couldn't quit smiling, couldn't quit laughing. Estelle, she's, she's crying, she's emotional about what's going on and, and doesn't know why we're at Living Word and what is God doing, and, but I just knew in my heart this is where we needed to be. One of the things that was attractive to us about Living Word uh, on that day was Ronnie Matheny was in town and he was sharing like he normally does about the work that was going on in Kenya. It just really stuck out to me that Living Word was a church that supported missions, that supported the gospel being spread. That's something I wanted to be a part of. And so we just committed. I told Estelle, I said, we're scratching the plan. I'm not going to visit any other church. I just believe this is where God wants us. And so we just started attending started living life. We started doing the ordinary things that you do in life. We were raising our kids. Joel was three years old. Eliana was two. We just started serving. Not too long after, we got involved in a life group. I think about a year into coming to Living Word, uh, Vern approached us and asked us if we wanted to lead the young adult ministry. You know, we believed that God wants you to serve in the local church. And so this was an opportunity the Lord presented to us, and so we said yes, and we just kept doing those ordinary things, serving in the local church, raising our family, trying to be what God wants us to be at Living Word. And so now, fast forward to 2018, I could have never imagined that we would be sitting right here where we are now, that we're seven, eight weeks away from me becoming a senior pastor of Living Word Church. Seems almost unbelievable that this would happen. But now, looking back, I think the things that I've learned is that it's easy for us to underestimate God's providence. 
and to not recognize that God is always at work. He is always at work unfolding his story. He has a greater story that he's unfolding. And now I can connect the dots. I think back to our previous church. I think back to what God was doing in our hearts then and how he was shaping us and preparing us then for what he wants to do in us and through us now. Even in the midst of the heartache and the challenging times and the uncertainty, God was at work in us, preparing us for what he wants to do. And that God's story is not about us and what we have to bring to the table. It's about his plan. It's about what he wants to do in the earth. I have to say that I count it as one of the greatest privileges of my life that God would choose me to be a senior pastor of church, not just any church, but Living Word Church, a church that has been pastored by a man that has been so faithful that God has used in such profound ways in the lives of thousands of people. He would ask me to do this, and I look forward to us working together as a body of Christ to further the gospel in our community, in our region, in all the different places that he's planted us, and all the different places he's going to use us. God has great things in store for Living Word Church. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. The Lord says, remember the former things of old. It's important that we remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things not yet done. Saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Lord, we just come before you this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you are with us. We thank you, Lord, that this is your service, this is your day. Thank you, Lord, that you have a word that you want to share with us. Lord, we... We believe that your word is true, that your counsel shall stand, and that you will accomplish all of your purposes. And so, Lord, we surrender to you this morning, and we thank you for what you're going to speak to us. Lord, we will give you all the glory and the honor for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I need a Kleenex, I can't see. (laughs) That was totally caught me off guard there. We, we had a plan. We were going to, I was going to read that scripture as I was scrolling down the, scrolling on the screen. Y'all all stood up, started clapping. Shouldn't have done that. Okay. So we're in a series called God's Greater Story. And, you know, I, you'll probably never see me do that again, introduce, my me- introduce a message with myself on a video. That's very rare. I wrestled with that for a while. I do a video testimony of myself before I get up to preach. I didn't want to be self-centered and narcissistic. But 
I felt like two things were important. You guys needed to know our story some more. You don't really know me very well, right? You get to hear me preach occasionally from the pulpit, and some of you are closer to me than others, and that's just the nature of our size church. But I felt like it was important for you guys to hear our story and hear how God brought us here. I, you know, I, Estelle didn't know that we were shooting that video. I wanted to surprise her, and Caleb and Tiffany shot the video, and so we, he sent it to me yesterday, and I couldn't wait, couldn't wait to, for Estelle to see it, and so uh, she saw it yesterday, and we're just bawling our eyes out watching that video because we know the details of the story that you guys don't know. We, we, we know what it felt like to be displaced and to not know where God wanted us to be. It was difficult. It, you know, anytime you leave a church, there are hurt relationships that take place. And we didn't want to hurt our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we stayed there for six years because we knew that God had called us there. And until he opened another door, we weren't going to move. And so we just wanted you to hear how God providentially brought us here. And I could have never imagined in a million years that Pastor Renee would have said last week he's leaving on March 4th. Like, are you kidding me? Like, you guys think this is quick. Well, hey, he just told us in June of 17 that he was leaving in 18. Why, why so quick? Well, what you guys don't know is that this has been a, a three and a half to four year journey. And he approached me in 2014 about this. And so this has not been a night and day thing. He has taken his time to mentor me, to spend time with me. And, and I've been waiting on him to give me a date so we could move forward, so, so I could begin to lead the staff, and so I could begin to preach more. And, and, and so, but he has been so gracious and been so good and been a great leader, a great pastor. You, you, you should be proud of your pastor and how he has handled this. And so when, when I'm thinking back and all that God has done, it just reminds me that God does have a greater story. And that is the heart of this series, that God has a greater story for all of us, not just for me and my wife, and, 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 but for everyone. God is working a greater story, and not just for our individual lives, but for our church. And so what, what we're doing in the series is we are looking at Old Testament characters, and we are seeing how God invites them into his greater story and says, hey, come and look what I'm doing over here and come be a part of what I'm doing. And that's what God specializes. And I love what Jolie said, that, that they just got busy doing stuff and God shows up, right? God invites us to get busy doing stuff for his kingdom and he shows up in power and does a work. And so we want to look at Esther this morning. We want to look at her story. You know, Esther, a lot of scholars, um, years and years ago, centuries and centuries ago, didn't want to include Esther in the Bible as canon, as, the, as, as, as a part of our holy scriptures, because there's no mention of God in the entire book. His name is not even mentioned. But what you see in the story of Esther is this, this, this weaving of the providence of God through the entire story and how God is working a greater story through the life of a girl who came from a situation that she should have never had to have faced. And God was weaving that story so that she could be a conduit for God's power to protect and to defend her own people. And so let me give you some background to Esther's story. So you have King Ahasuerus. I practiced that name 
few times before service, Ahasuerus, King Ahasuerus. He's king, and he has a queen named Vashti, Queen Vashti. And Ahasuerus, Ahasuerus says, I'm going to have a banquet for everyone in my kingdom, and I'm going to invite people to come and to celebrate. And so Queen Vashti decided, well, hey, you know what, buddy, I'm not showing up to your, uh, to your banquet. And it really upset the king. And the king said, queen can't do that. She can't not show up to a banquet that I am hosting. She has to be here with me. But she refused to go. And so as a result, King Ahasuerus says, i got to find a new queen. We need to find a woman that's going to submit. Submit or split, right? <laughs> it's really not biblical, but that was his motto. Submit or split. And so... Uh, they decide they're going to send out um, notifications to all the ladies in the, in, in the, in the area, in the kingdom, that, that all the beautiful ones need to show up to kind of get paraded before the king so that they can uh, possibly be chosen to be the next queen. And so this is what happens. And so th- this is kind of the, the, the beginning stages of what's going on, what's going to lead, leading up to Esther being a part of God's bigger story. So that's the beginning stages. Now let's look at Esther 2, and let's see the introduction of Esther into our story. Esther 2, starting in verse 5. And at that time, there was a Jewish man in the fortress of Susa, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair. Jair. Is that that correct? I don't know. I mean, are you an English major too? I forget. I'm sorry. I don't know how to say it. I practiced. I'm sorry. Jair. Jair. Okay. Um. My wife does it to me all the time. She's an English teacher. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He <laughs> was a descendant of Kish and Shimei. Is, is that good? Shimei. <laughs> His family had been among those who King Jehoiakim of Judah had been exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. This man, Mordecai, had a very beautiful and lovely young cousin, Hadassah, who was also called Esther. When her father and mother died, Esther's father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. And so here you have Esther. She is an orphan girl. She's an orphan. Her mother and daughter died. We don't have the details of how old she was when her mother and daughter died, but it says here that Mordecai raised her like she was her, his own daughter. He was an older cousin. So that means I believe that she possibly could have lost her mother and father at a very young age. So here you have a girl who is displaced, who is not with her mom and her dad, and is, is, is in, in no doubt, in my mind, struggles with that. You know, we don't really see any struggle. It, it, it doesn't talk about it in this story. But you have to know that if you are a child and you lose your mother and father and you have to be taken care of by your older cousin, you, you're going through things. You're struggling. It's not an easy situation, right? And so, but, but, but she's been taken in. She's been taken care of. Mordecai is, is fathering her and raising her. And so the word goes out. And it says here, I kind of used the toned down version, but the New King James said she had a nice figure. That's what it actually said. She was, had a nice figure and was beautiful to look at. And so she was a good candidate to be presented before the king. And so they scooped her up real quick. Brought her before the king. The king, I don't know how it worked. Really don't have any much details as to what was the deciding factor. But he chose Esther to be queen. So now Esther is in a position. Can you imagine? She's a 
she's an orphan that lost her mom and dad and is being fathered by her older cousin. And now she is the queen of a kingdom, married to a king. Like, how does that happen? God is weaving a story and positioning her in the right place at the right time. She doesn't see it yet. She doesn't know why she had to go through what she went through. She doesn't understand why she had to go through that pain. But she is where she needs to be by God's design. And so she's before the king. And so now there's this man named Haman. You guys ever heard the story? You know who Haman is. Haman Haman was put almost second in command over all the kingdom by the king. And so Haman was kind of a, an arrogant type of guy, and he required that all the, all the people, when they would see him, that they would bow down and pay homage to him. And so Mordecai, who's a Jew who serves the one true living God, he's not bowing down before any man in that sign of worship. I'm not going to do that. That is sacrilegious. I won't do that. And so when, when Haman shows up on the scene next to Mordecai. Everyone around Mordecai bows down to Haman, but Mordecai would not bow down. And so it really infuriated Haman. So Haman said, you know what? I'm going to find out who this guy is and where he's from and who his people are. And he found out that he was a Jew. And so Haman came up with a plot to destroy all the Jews in the kingdom, to destroy their people. And so Mordecai, he overhears the plot. And so he, ha- he, he begins to see, his wheels start to turn. He sees, wait a minute, Esther, who is a Jew, is in the kingdom. She's the queen. And quite possibly, maybe, she can be used by God to be a source of deliverance for her, her people, for us as a Jewish nation. And so he sends word through a servant to get to Esther. And so they go back and forth. So Mordecai sends word to the servant and says, go tell Esther what the plot is and that we need her help. And then Esther hears the plot and she is, she is, she is upset. She can't believe that this might possibly happen. But then she tells the servant to go tell Mordecai, I can't go before the king and have not been summoned. I'm going to die if I do that. I can't just go in and say, knock on his door and say, hey, by the way, I know you might be my husband, but uh, I need to come and chat with you about something. It didn't work that way in kingdoms like that. You had to be summoned to come to the king. It had to be your time, the appropriate time. So she basically told Mordecai, no, I'm, I'm, I can't do it. I'm going to die. And listen to Mordecai's second response to Esther. Esther chapter 4, verses 12 through 14. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So Mordecai tried to get her to lift her eyes up and to see a bigger, a greater story. And so what we want to do is we want to learn, as we did last week, we want to learn what are some things we can learn from the life of Esther and from Mordecai's response to Esther's fear. The first thing I see is this, is that God is at work even when we don't recognize it. And that's what I want to tell you. God is at work even when you don't see it. 
when it looks like he's a million miles away, when it looks like your marriage can't get any worse, when it looks like that child that you've been praying for that's been running from God, you raised them to believe in God and they're running from God and it looks like they are a million miles away. They keep getting further and further. God is still at work. He is at work in ways we cannot see. Esther had no idea what was going on in her life. She, she, she could have been thinking, why God? Why me? Why would I have to experience both of my parents dying? And it's, it's difficult enough to just have the loss of one of your parents. But she had both that died. Both parents died. I mean, what, what's going on with her life? Why is this happening? And clearly, surely... She questioned. And I, and, you know, I feel like there's some of you here this morning, you question, you wonder why, like, God, why did this happen? Why did this have to happen in my life to my loved ones, to my friends? And I just want to encourage you that God is at work even when we don't recognize it. In difficult times, this is hard for us to believe in difficult times because when we're in challenging times, what is it that we see when we're in challenging times? It's all we see is our problems. All we see is the difficulty. All we see is the pain. And all we feel is the heartache and the struggle. But we need to be reminded through the story of Esther that God is not separate from us when we're going through difficulties. He is right there with us. He's in the fire. He is the fourth man in the fire with us. You believe that? The fourth man in the fire with us. You know, God doesn't say that we will not go through fire. God doesn't say that we're going to be exempt from suffering. But God tells us he will be in the fire with us. And we may suffer. We will suffer. All the apostles, except John the Revelator, were martyred for their faith. They suffered greatly for the gospel that we, that, that, that we teach and preach and spread. It cost them their life. The cost of discipleship. But God never leaves us. And never forsakes us, even in the middle of our suffering. And another thing that I think about in this first point is that, that God is at work also in the ordinary things. Not just the difficult times. He, he's at work during the ordinary times. He is always at work, we, even when we don't recognize just the ordinary times. The times, that, the times that we would overlook and recognize that God's at work. What are some ways in which we do ordinary things that God works that God works through us. His husbands, his wives, fathers, mothers, his doctors, his lawyers, his friends, his neighbors, as co-workers, as citizens in our community. You know, just think about all the daily things that you do. You, you spend time with your spouse and you, and, and you pray with your kids and, and you, you wake them up for school and you got to drag them out of the bed because they're half asleep and they don't want to go to school because it's freezing cold in the morning, right? And you just, you're just in this, in this, seems like a rat race, doing all these things, these routines over and over and over again. Joel, I think, has had basketball practice every day of the week this week. Is, is his coach here this evening? I mean, every day of the week, and it's just like, my goodness. But you know what? That's the ordinary things, right? God is at work. Brother Freddie called me the other day and really encouraged me. He really encouraged me about being there for my son at the practices and at the games. Because I'll never regret later on being there and missing other things. 
And so I'm doing ministry while I'm at my son's game because when he looks up at that stand and he sees his daddy looking down at him, it's ministering to his soul. It's showing him that I love him and I'm I'm ministering to him in that. And so those are just ordinary things that we overlook. We get so busy in our life and we don't see that God is right in the midst of it. He's right there. He's there every single day in your life with your wife, with your kids, on your job. Some of you have jobs that you hate. Don't raise your hand if you do. But some of you do. And you don't want to go to work tomorrow. You're you're hoping that we have another snowstorm all of a sudden. Man, home is shut down during that snowstorm. If we have a bigger one, it's all going to shut down. you You just don't like your job. But I'm telling you, even on the job that you hate, God is with you. How do you know God's with you? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God dwells on the inside of you. So when you walk on that job, you know who's walking on that job? God is walking on that job. I mean, you're not God. God in you is walking on that job. And God wants to go to work in the midst of that, in the midst of your life, in the demonstration of your godly work ethic, in the demonstration of your submissive attitude. All of that is the way, are the ways in which God works in our lives in ordinary ways. He works in our lives in the midst of struggles and pain. He's there. And he works in our lives in the middle of our ordinary things. Just the things that we do each and every day. There's another man we could bring. I just quickly want to bring an example of this. And Do you guys remember when Elijah called down fire? And the 450 prophets of Baal were, consumed, were, were, were killed. You guys know that story in 1 Kings? And so God demonstrated his mighty power in a spectacular way to Elijah. And then Queen Jezebel, with her little ratty voice, spoke up to Elijah and said, Oh, by the way, I'm going to come and get you and do the things to you, and even worse, that you did to my false prophets, to my prophets. Coming after you, Elijah. Elijah just saw the mighty power of God, not in an ordinary way, but in a profound way. Doing something. So he goes and he runs and he hides in a cave and he's all depressed. He actually prays that God would take him. He's suicidal. He's overwhelmed. He doesn't want to live. And he begins to say, oh, God, I'm the only one left. There's nobody else. I'm the only one that loves you. Let's pick up in 1 Kings 19. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, God said to him, what are you doing? doing that's how i think he said it what are you doing here elijah he said i've been very jealous for the lord the god of hosts for the people of israel have forsaken your covenant thrown down your altars and killed the prophets with the sword and i even i only am left and that's such a i'm the only holy one in all of israel i only i am left and they seek my life to take it away And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke it in pieces, the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper, a low whisper. So what was God teaching Elijah? And he 
He goes further on and he tells Elijah, oh, by the way, there's about 7,000 people who have not bowed the knee to Baal, so get over yourself, right? You're not the only one. And you know what happened to Elijah? God gave him instructions after this and says, Elisha is going to take your place. You anoint him to be the prophet after you. And what was God teaching Elisha? That he is at work even when you don't recognize it. That in Israel there are people who have not bowed the knee to Baal. God is in imperceptibly working even when we don't recognize it. He's always at work. The lesson for us is that God is always at work even when we don't recognize it. God wants to use you to impact those around you for the glory of his name. For the glory of his name. Amen? Amen. And so Esther is perfectly positioned. She's perfectly positioned to be used by God. Her people are at risk and Haman wants to destroy them. He's ready, he's angry, and he's going after the Jews. And Mordecai has a conversation with her back and forth through the servant. And she says, I can't do it. There's no way. I'm not going to be able to do it. I can't do it. And Mordecai tells, him, tells her those famous phrases, perhaps for such a time as this, you've come to the kingdom. And I think the second thing that we're, we see here, we, we learn through the life of Esther in this God's greater story, is that God will accomplish his purposes. God will accomplish his purposes. Look what Mordecai says to Esther in verse 14, Esther 4, 14. For if you keep silent, Esther, you're scared. I know you're scared. You think you might die. You think if you go before the king, he's going to raise his scepter to kill you. But if you keep silent at this time, just have you know that relief and deliverance will rise. It will rise. But it will be from another place. You know what I believe God was telling Esther through Mordecai, through her cousin? I believe God was telling Esther, this is my paraphrase, God wants to use you. God wants to use you. But he does not need you. He doesn't need you. If we are ever foolish enough to believe that God needs us, oh, God, help us. God doesn't need me. Any more than he needs you. God doesn't need us. God is self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything. If he needed anything, he would cease to be God. He's self-sufficient. I believe he was saying to Esther, God doesn't, God wants to use you. But he doesn't need you. Can you put that back up there? My paraphrase. God wants to use you, but he doesn't need you. He will accomplish his purposes with or without you. And that's the truth. God will accomplish his purposes with or without you. And that's what I believe God was trying to communicate to Esther through Mordecai. Hey, God's going to deliver his people. Why? Because of covenant. He had a covenant promise with Abraham that he was going to take care of his people. And whether Esther ever did anything... God was going to find another way to deliver his people. But what was God saying? Esther, I want you to be a part. I want to use you to be a part of my greater story. And the point of all of this is that God, is that it's not about us. It's not about Esther. It's not about Mordecai. It's not about Pastor Renee. It's not about me. It's not about anybody else. It is about God. God's story is about who? 
It's about God. It's about Him. It's about His name being glorified. It's not about us. The story of God is centered on the work of redemption that Jesus accomplished on the cross. The story of God is about Him receiving glory and honor through the transforming power of the gospel in the lives of people. That is the story of God. That His name would be praised. That His name would be glorified. That His name would be exalted through us, through our lives. You know, there's somebody in Scripture that I think really demonstrates for us an understanding or understood that it was not about us. And that's the Apostle Paul. He knew it wasn't about him. I want to read a couple of scriptures from the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. This is Paul speaking. He says, and, and, and I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness. And in fear and much trembling, I feel like the Apostle Paul right now in this, this season of my life. I've, I am in much weakness and fear and trembling to follow in the footsteps of Rene Monet. Right? I mean, I, I, I feel the words that Paul is saying here. Like, like you just, really? Why, God, why couldn't you just have me go plant a church somewhere? Or why couldn't you have me plant a church that's really been struggling and there's nobody there? I can gladly, to where if it fails, hey, well, it's already going down the hill. <laughs> I mean, that's the easier route. But you know what? It's not about me or my wishes or my desires or what I would like. And I can honestly say, you can take this to the bank. If I had to choose, if God said, Ben Bufkin, choose your path to senior pastorship. I would not choose this. But I am. <laughs> I would not choose it for the reasons I'm just saying. 38 and a half years of faithfulness, I got to follow that man? I'm just going to be just being real with you. Didn't plan on saying all that. I'm just going to keep reading here. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling and my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration, this is the key, of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Amen? That's the key. Paul got it. Paul got it. 2 Corinthians, if you go on, 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Key verse, for, we pro, for what we proclaim is not ourselves. It's not about us. God will accomplish his purposes. It is his purposes that he is after. It's the glory of his name. It's not about any individual. We do not proclaim ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Amen? 
But you don't, do you want to know the irony of all of this? The beauty of all of this is the next two verses in 2 Corinthians 4. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is so beautiful. But we have this treasure. What treasure? The gospel of Jesus Christ, the face, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have that treasure. Where is that treasure found? Say it with me. Jars of clay. We have that treasure. The treasure that it would be worth, it would be worth selling your field to buy that treasure. That treasure that you can do nothing to earn it or nothing to deserve it. That treasure. God says, you know what? I'm going to take that treasure and I'm going to put it in jars of clay. Frail human vessels who are weak, who are disobedient, who have pain and suffering and trials and sickness. I'm putting that treasure in them. And why does he do that? To show. He wants to demonstrate something. He wants to demonstrate something to show The surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. It's not about God. And that's what God was trying to get Esther to see. This power is not for you, about you. And I know you're fearful, but if you will catch a vision that I want to use you to do a greater work, the surpassing power is for the praise and the glory of my name. Amen? Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God. What's all from God? The saving stuff. God's in the saving business. All that's from God. Who through Christ reconciles us to himself. And what does God do with these jars of clay? He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ... God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And what did he do? He's entrusting to us. Like, wait a minute. Why in the world would the God of creation ever trust you or me with anything that he wants to get done? Why would he do that? I mean, I know myself. And and you know yourself better than anyone does. Maybe your spouse might. I think my wife knows me more than I know myself. But why would God say, hey, I'm going to entrust you with this precious treasure of the good news of Jesus Christ. And I want you to be a minister of reconciliation. What does he want you to do? Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, I mean, I just came out of my shoes when I read this a couple of days ago. God making his appeal through us. That's what he wants us to do, to make his appeal. He wants to appeal to a lost and a dying world through you. Through you. Through your mouth. Through through a mouth that can still lie. Through a mouth that can be dishonest. Through a mouth that can be a gossip. Through a mouth that that, that can say and communicate things that don't line up with what is right and true. God wants to use that mouth, unholy lips. He wants to use your lips, your lips, my lips, 
Lips that don't deserve to be a mouthpiece for God. God wants to speak through you. And this is what the gospel is all about. This is why whenever somebody comes to salvation through your testimony, it's got to be the glory and power of God that does it. Because we're weak and we're frail and we don't know all the right things to say. And we get it confused and we misquote the scriptures. And we mess up our testimony sometimes, right? You guys ever done that? I mean, I've, I've done it. Working, sweating in an attic at 110 degrees in August. Getting mad at people. And they know I'm a Christian. We mess it up, but God still says, because your sins are forgiven. Because you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Because you are my child. I'm going to entrust to you the greatest treasure that has ever been heard of and seen in all of human history. The treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to entrust it to you and ask you to open your mouth so you can speak in the ordinary places that he plants you and sends you. It's the beauty of the gospel. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. So this leads us to our final point, final lesson we learn from the story of Esther. That next phrase that Mordecai told, had told to Esther was this. He says, and who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Who knows? Perhaps. Maybe. God has you right where he needs you. And I want to remind you of that. Perhaps God has you right where he wants you and needs you for the praise and the glory of his name. The third thing I see in this is that God invites us to play a part in his story. That's what that was right there. That was God's divine invitation to Esther to say, hey, sign up, Esther, to be a part of my greater story. Who knows? Perhaps, perhaps I've got you right where I want you. I want to show you something, demonstrate something to you. Use this as an example. This is an arrow I bought last night that I forgot to buy until 9.30 at night. <laughs> I'm watching TV, the still, I don't know what we were watching. And I'm like, oh, I got to go buy this for Sunday. This is an arrow. And this is what I believe God wants us to be. This is what we are. We're arrows in the hands of God. We're arrows. We are his arrows. We are his arrows individually. I'm an arrow and you're an arrow. But collectively, we're an arrow. And what God wants to do is God wants to put our lives and the life of our church in his bow. And he wants to put it in and he wants to anchor it and aim it and thrust it into the world. Josh and Jolie in India, the arrow sent out to India to impact the nations for the sake of the gospel and the glory of his name. He wants to take your life as an arrow and he wants to send it into the life of your kids, your spouse, your job where you work, the people, your friends, the people in your life group. He wants to use you as an arrow for the sake of his name, the glory of his name. we got a picture. I want you to see what the arrow represents. This is from Louis Giglio. I was watching him just at the Passion Conference this last week. And he, he stole this picture from somebody. He admitted he stole it from somebody. didn't give them credit. But I'm going to give him credit for his theft. 
So this is the arrow. The arrow, the shaft, is what? It's the people. It's us. It's the church. This is us. This is you. This is me. The word of God, notice this is so significant. The word of God is the feather, right? So why is that important that the word of God is the feather? That when God sends us out, what does the feather do? It guides us. We don't have the word of God, and we're going here, there, and everywhere. We're preaching crazy stuff. But what does the word of God do? It guides us. It shapes us. It keeps us in line. It's the word of God. And the tip, the tip, this is the tip here. The tip is the gospel. That's what is at the tip of our arrow that God wants us to proclaim to people. What's at the point of the tip? Jesus' name. How do you preach the gospel? There's only one, one gospel can only be preached with one name. And what's his name? The name of Jesus. And you know what I believe probably the most important part of that picture is the fire. It's the Holy Spirit's power. We need the Holy Spirit's power to light our arrow on fire and to send us into our world to impact our world for Jesus. We need to be arrows on fire for God arrows on fire for God. And so I I talked about your life in the beginning of this message, how God wants to use you and the ordinary things of your life and the the ordinary struggles of your life and how God is there and he's with you. He's always at work. He never stops working and even in all of those details. But I want to talk about our church just for a minute. Just bear with me. I'm wrapping up. I want to talk about our church. What is God doing in our church? Living Word Church. And I don't want us to underestimate what God is doing. We have had a faithful man that has pastored this church. It's been used by God in profound ways for over 38 and a half years. And I want you to know this is very uncommon what we're experiencing right now. There are many of you here who have been a part of churches where a pastor leaves suddenly and all of a sudden you have another pastor that comes in and you're just kind of left in the whirlwind and you don't know, well, why did that other brother leave and why do I have a new pastor? And it's not very common to have a pastor that stays and has been here. And for some of you, you don't know what it's like to not have the pastor that you first got saved under. You don't know what it's like to be in a transition. And so I think there's really two different types of categories here. This is so significant in the history of our church, in the history of our community. And so I don't want us to underestimate that, to overlook it and to see. So what, what, what are we looking for in all of that? We're looking for what God is doing. And I believe that what God is doing is, is, is what the heart of this series is all about, that God is writing a greater story, that the, there are greater days ahead for Living Word Church. This is not the beginning of the end of Living Word Church. I say this, I've said this quite a few times in the middle of this process to encourage myself and encourage others, is that if God would prepare for the future of the church, do you believe that God would prepare the the future of this church so that it would fail? Do you believe that God would prepare for the future of the church so that we would just kind of coast and not really be impactful for the kingdom? I don't believe that that's the nature of what God does. I believe that God is preparing for the future of the church so that your kids and your grandkids can be arrows in the hand of a powerful God and that their hearts can be lit on fire by the Holy Spirit. And so that we can send them 
so that we can go, so we can be sent, we can go, and our kids can go, and our grandkids can go for generations to come. You know, there is an unfinished work of the gospel. It's not done yet. Jesus will not come back till the whole world has heard. And that's why we're called to be arrows. And that's what I believe God is positioning our church for. That's why we're here. So that's what I'm here for. I'm not here to just have church. I want you to know that. You may not hear me preach until March 11th. First Sunday as your senior pastor. And I want you to know from now until then. That's what I'm here for. I'm not here just to preach messages. So you can go have a better marriage. Or have a better life. That's not the gospel. I'm here to preach messages so that you can be an arrow on fire by the Holy Spirit to reach your world. That is, that is what Pastor Renee has given his life to for 38 years, and that's what I'm going to give my life to. I'm going to follow in his footsteps. He has paved the way of faithfulness, of heralding the gospel message, and that's what I'm going to do. That's my calling. That's my passion. That's my drive. I want to see that as God's word is taught, that you mature in the faith, that you grow and you become a better husband, a better wife. You become all that God's called you to be, to be effective in his kingdom. Won't you stand to your feet with me? We have a prayer focus. You guys got these prayer focus sheets you didn't get it, you can get it at guest services. We wrote down 21 things during the last seven weeks of this transition that we would pray for as a church. So the three things we're going to pray for this week, number four, pray that the staff at LWC, that they would walk in unity and be led by the Holy Spirit. Pray that the staff at LWC would walk in righteousness and humility. And number six, pray for the ministry leaders at LWC, that they would be encouraged and filled with vision for the future. So that's what we're praying about. So I've debated back and forth what I was going to do at this time. And so I just want you to to take some action, right? This message has been a message about action, right? This is not a sit-down message. This is an action message. And in a symbolic way, I want us to come up front. I know it's going to be, it's not easy, and I know it's not comfortable. And I know not everyone can fit right here. But I want us to come together symbolically all the way down. Feel, come down, feel the aisles, feel around the aisles. Come out of the risers, come down. If, if, you, if this resonates with your heart, this vision for the gospel and for Living Word Church, come down and pray with me in unity. Come and pray. Come and pray. Let's pray together. Make your way down front. Even if the, just come as close as you can to the front. Toes against the, against the altar. There you go. Keep coming. We're going to pray. Thank you. What a a beautiful picture. God's children, God's people, an an army of God. God's going to use in our community, in our region. Keep coming.
If you're walking, you can just stop. We're good. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning. God, and we just submit ourselves to you. God, we humbly come before you and we recognize our great need for you. God, we can do nothing apart from you. We can't do anything in our own strength that will amount to any good for the gospel without your power being in us and working through us. So Lord, we submit to you as a church, as Living Word Church. God, we link arms. We unify together as a body of believers. And we ask, God, that you would move in our church. We ask, God, that you would prepare our hearts for the future. We ask, God, that you would light our arrows with your Holy Spirit. We want to be on fire for you, filled with your Spirit, ready to be used in the ordinary things of, in the ordinary ways of our life. God, we want to be impactful as a church. God, we know that when a church comes together, the impact is multiplied. The impact is multiplied through hundreds and hundreds and and thousands of people coming together in unity for one purpose, the purpose of the glorifying of the name of Jesus. God, I pray that that would be true of us. And so, Lord, we submit to you just a few weeks out from a changing of a season in our church, and we ask for your help. We ask for wisdom. We submit to you. You are the chief shepherd. You are the Lord of this church. God, if we're going to do anything impactful, it's going to be because of you. And so I ask that each and every one of your people here would ask that you would stir in their hearts a passion and a desire to be used by you. Maybe some of them here this morning, they have lost that passion. They've lost it. And today, your spirit brings it back. And they have a passion to be used by you to spread the gospel. Lord, we thank you for all you're going to do. And Lord, we commit, we commit to you right now this morning that everything that is done will be for your name and will be for your glory. Lord, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. And everyone says, amen. Amen. Amen.